0: Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Universe podcast. This is Matthew, your normal host. Today I am on vacation and I had hoped I would be able to record a new episode, but the internet at the cabin up in northern Minnesota that I'm at does not have the internet that it did last year. So instead, uh, this week we're going to offer an episode of the Superhero Ethics podcast where we talked about the ethical questions raised by the TV show The Clone Wars. Uh, in this, we do discuss things from the entire Clone Wars series, including uh, the recently released Season 7. So if you've not watched all of it, you might want to hit pause and save this till you finish the show. But if you have seen all of Clone Wars or you don't mind being spoiled, please enjoy this discussion that is from the other podcast but deeply relevant to the Star Wars universe and know that I will be back and producing content as soon as I'm in a place with better internet. Thank you so much. Have a great day. May the Force be with you. And hold on for that great discussion right after this commercial break. We have no control over it. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Today we're talking about Star Wars, the Clone Wars. You've heard me mention at various points about how this TV show over seven seasons dives into some of the great ethical questions from Star Wars about the moral value of clones and the, the nature of the Jedi and, and how were they part of their own self-destruction and what did the war do to the Jedi and, and all sorts of great questions. <laughs> Welcome back, I'm Matthew Fox. I'm your host. Uh, today we are joined, uh, once again, if you listened to the Star Wars episode a couple days ago, by Jonah Kelman and Paul Hoppy, um, two good friends of mine and big Star Wars enthusiasts like myself. What will be a couple of days ago for you, what was actually about ten minutes ago for us, um, we recorded an episode specifically on the, um, the seventh season of The Clone Wars, more of a review kind of thing for the Star Wars Universe podcast. But we all wound up dancing around talking about how there were some great ethical questions that got raised in that last season, but really throughout the Clone Wars TV shows. So um, today I'm really excited for us to, to dive into all that. i only got a little bit of business to talk about. First, let me start by just welcoming our guests, um, starting with Paul first, who was our original co-host on this show, and who, along with me, did uh, uh, all those reviews of the um, Clone Wars last season, which you can find on the Star Wars Universe podcast, and I'm really glad to have back talking about this. Paul, um, how are we feeling tonight?
1: Feeling pretty good. All warmed up from the previous podcast that was like, quote-unquote, two days later, earlier. (laughs) I guess not that warmed up. Anyway. Uh,
0: And Jonah Kelman, a good friend of mine from the um, Magic Judge world, um, you you may have often heard me more on the Star Wars podcast, but also on this one, talk about some of the Star Wars books that I've gotten into. He's been a big part of pushing me uh, in that direction. And he and I have also had some great conversations. He was a guest uh, probably about a year ago or so, on this uh, superhero ethics podcast, we talked about the ethics of the Jedi and the Sith. So, uh, Jonah, I'm really excited to have you back. How are we doing tonight?
2: I am excited to share my opinions because, boy, <laughs> howdy, do I got some.
0: Yeah, we are—it um, is currently 11.30 at night, uh, my time. 12.30 at night, Jonah's time. So hopefully that one factor is going to be what prevents this from being a four-hour episode. Nope. Uh, not, not to mention the nope. fact <laughs> that the person who has—for uh, whom it is earliest, Paul Hoppy. Is also the wimpiest and we'll need to go to bed the earliest. Um, but we're I'm not explain- going to
1: bed then. I'm going to work then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also legit. Point is, we're going to try and keep this episode to a manageable 75 to 90 minutes. Uh, we'll do our best <clears> to keep that. It might yeah. go longer, but that's what we're shooting for. Um, let me just do quick two quick things of business first. Um, first of all, both this and the Star Wars Universe podcast are both part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. We recently added a new podcast to that network called Pandavision. It's a great chance for us to talk about um, TV shows that don't quite fit into a full verse, but really have some great things for us as superhero fans to talk about. So we've done episodes on The Boys. There are episodes coming out about The Umbrella Academy, since both of those shows are having new seasons coming soon. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of other great shows on there. Please check it out, and if you give us a review on iTunes or anywhere else and leave us a five-star review... Um, you'll get entered into a chance to win a free T-shirt from the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. So, uh, if you want to leave, uh, listen and you don't love it as much, and you want to give us less than five star review, of course, always welcome to. Let us know what you think. Also, really love epi- uh, reviews on this podcast and on the Star Wars podcast. But if you're able to give us a five star review, fantastic! And you'll get entered to win a t- free t- entered into a chance to win a free T-shirt. Last thing is that I'm happy to say this is our 99th episode, and so. Um, Uh, A week from the day, actually, no, I'm sorry, the same day you're hearing this, um, later that day at 6 p.m., we're going to be live streaming on Twitch, the MCU Twitch channel, which all the links will be in the show notes and uh, all over our websites. Um, We're having a 100th episode where we're going to have a number of great guests, including Paul, as well as uh, Matthew Carroll from the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, uh, Becky Allen, Jessica Plummer, who've been recent guests and frequent guests, and the other uh, co-host, Jacob Malicich are all going to be with us on kind of a panel show type thing. I'm going to throw out questions, discuss all the sorts of great uh, ethical questions we like with a great panel of guests. It'll be live streamed on Twitch at 6pm on um, Thursday, uh, July 16th. Um, And also it'll then go live the next week as our superhero ethics episode of the week. If you have ideas of um, you know, if you hear this and then in like the next three or four hours after that, you want to send in a question for us to think about, uh, and talk about on that panel show, uh, especially if it's about Star Wars, but anything else really, email us at superheroethics at gmail.com. We'd love to take your question and talk about it live on Twitch. Uh, and with all that out of the way, let's now actually dive into our main topic. So let's just kind of start with the Star Wars TV show itself, uh, <laughs> Star Wars itself, the Clone Wars TV show itself. Um, what 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 are your kind of thoughts on the show? Like, I know Paul, you got me to watch it, and then Jonah, I got you to watch it. Um, huh. what, what do folks lo- what what's kinda of your overall take on the show and sort of how it fits into Star Wars and, and what you like about it? Paul, you want to go first? Because you were yeah. the, the the
1: patient zero? Sure. Um I mean I watched the I'd say uh my friend Adam got me to watch it, but <laughs> um actually maybe Chris. Yeah. It's it's a show passed from Star Wars fan to Star Wars fan. But um I feel like it really expands the universe beyond the movies in a a very Effective, accessible way. Um, it makes the whole idea of a clone army much more interesting and engaging than um, the the wonderful prequel movie Attack of the Clones. <laughs> um, and also, then actually gives a lot of context at the towards the end um, for Revenge of the Sith. And to me, the 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 thing that I originally loved most about it was that it felt like it actually told Anakin's story in terms of going from, you know, a kid or going from like Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith in this sort of slide to the dark side, sort of slide in terms of what he thinks um, should be done or can be done. And then also the Jedi as well. Um, in in a way that the movies either can't or just don't do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I mean, just on the Anakin thing, like, in this, Anakin and Padme actually have chemistry right. in a number of the scenes, which is just nowhere to be found. And I just feel mm-hmm. like they... um, In a, a recent episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast, we talked about how one of the problems that me and Jeff Randall had with the first and second movie is the story of the fall of Anakin and the fall of the Jedi are both incredibly complex, nuanced stories. Mm -hmm. Um, They're supposed to be subtle. They're supposed to be, like, told over time. And I don't think... I think certainly doing it in a kid's movie is a huge mistake. But really doing it in any, like, just six hours of two movies is probably going to be very difficult. And doing it over the show like this, I think, was able to show it in much more detail and really get into, like, the moral grayness of it and, like, why there's it's hard to sort of say, like, who's the clear good guy. and I mean, Sidious is a bad guy, clearly, but everyone else, there's much more gray in this show.
1: Yeah, or just, they're all evil, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Everybody's terrible.
0: They're all terrible. Spoken like Uh, (laughs) Sith. Jonah, what about you? What's your kind of take on the, the TV show overall? So,
2: I'm somebody who came to the TV show by way of all of the Legends canon books, so I have a very deep and broad experience with the Star Wars universe outside of the movies. Uh, and I really like it for many of the same reasons Paul does. It's a very accessible way to tell more complex stories. Um, I think one of the reasons it gets passed from one person to another person to another person is because the f- some episodes here and there are a little rough. Yeah, the no. ones that feature Jar Jar Binks <laughs> binks yeah, and around, you need yeah. somebody to say it's worth it in the end. And exactly. It absolutely absolutely is. One of my goals is to actually get a consolidated list of episodes that are worth watching or maybe episodes that aren't worth watching plus a view order right. but that's a slightly larger project so that you can just watch this and it's just so good and I think it has some of the more emotionally resonant moments of the Star Wars universe in- including, I think, all of the films.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's definitely true. And I'll say, um, like, I, I talked with you about watching it, and I also talked about um, people who are other uh, co-hosts on the um, Star Wars Universe podcast, where we talk specifically about the Clone Wars, uh, Riki and Sarah Hayashi. Um, and, and I really enjoyed, little from you, but especially from Riki, um you know, the first season or two, I'd get these texts, and they're like, Wait, really? I should be watching this? Really? <laughs> and then as the show went on, they'd start to be like, Okay, I get it. Oh, okay, this is really good. Um, you know? And yeah, then, like
1: I remember, Matthew, you had, you kind of started and stopped a couple times, right?
0: Oh, yeah. I watched yeah. the, I watched like halfway through the first That's season. Did I. Um, You tried to get, talk me into watching it. I was like, This is garbage. And then it was only when I was in a, um, Not a great part of my life, and I didn't really have much to do. (laughs) I just decided to watch it in a fit of nihilistic hatred of the universe, and wound up being really annoyed that I liked it as much as I did. Um, But Jonah, I I think you're really right, especially because to me, and this is why I'm so glad we're talking about this, um, Star Wars is really what started me on the idea of media getting into ethical questions, uh, especially geek media. Because I've always found the Star Wars stories to be so incredibly rich. Um, and I think there's a lot of that in the original trilogy, but the original trilogy is a little bit simplistic to some extent. I, I think there's a lot more depth than people give it credit for because it's harder to see. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that one of the you know the prequels, as clumsy as they are, are at least trying to get that. And not to even restart the whole debate again about the the postquels, but part of why I personally love um, the seventh movie, uh, sorry, the eighth movie so Last much, Jedi. Last Jedi is because I feel like it, it really dives into some of these questions about, like, what if the Jedi were wrong? And to me, so much... They were. Ex- y- Yes, agreed. <laughs> to me, that always makes so much more sense if you've seen this TV show. Like, the number of people who I've known who have not liked The Last Jedi, I convinced them to watch this, and then they were like, oh my god, Last Jedi makes so much more sense now. Um, you know, just because I think it, 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 just quest- it brings in all these questions about, like, we're, what were the Jedi doing wrong? Why did they fall? All this kind of stuff.
2: Oh, boy. You said we wanted to keep this to an hour or two? I
0: don't think we can answer those
2: questions in an hour or two.
0: I know, I know. We're going to try and keep this to kind of three general questions, um, and we're probably not going to keep eat any of them in the depth they require, since, again, it took seven seasons of, so that's what, 20 episodes per season, 25 minutes per? Um, yeah, Paul but some your, of those were your about charge math Paul, you're a freakish uh. math prodigy. How long is that?
1: It's it's between, like, 50 and 70 hours, I think. Yeah, depending I on how long the episodes actually
0: are. <laughs> um, so, Jonah, you were starting to say something?
2: We can oh, skip no, the no. ones with Jar Jar. It makes it a lot faster to condense. Yeah. Like, if mm-hmm. we cut those out, cut out the ones that are just about the droids, that saves us some time. But,
0: yeah, I am anyway, ready. so so let's get into some of the specific questions. And I think the first one, and, I mean, it's right there in the title, and I... It's what I love about the show because it really gets into it in a way that the movies never did. The clones. Um, let's talk, what what's your kind of take on what the what this show does in terms of like ethically exploring the nature of the clones.
2: I mean, it first off it presents them as humans, which isn't done in the movies at all. Like yeah. you have a little bit of Commander Cody, and he has a handful of lines of dialogue in Revenge of the Sith. And some of the clones in like, Attack of the Clones say, go, go, go. But they're not humans. And in the show, you get to see Rex interacting with Anakin. You get to see Fives and Echo and Heavy interacting with each other. They aren't just props to build characters for the Jedi. They are characters in and of themselves. Um, yeah. So this show does a lot to build them up. But it also gives you more of their history. What's the training for a clone? Like we get to see that in the Clone Wars show. What happens when they're on their own, away from the Jedi? We get to see what happens when they're left to their own devices. Um, and I think it can tell a really powerful story.
1: Yeah, I, I think both words in the um, in the title are fairly fraught, like clone and wars. Right? I mean, yeah. these are. I would use the word people rather than humans. I mean, I guess they're humans. They're, they're true, humans true. They're animals, sentience. But, right. Um, but so, and not to differentiate them from people, but to basically just try to use a more inclusive word that includes all the different species that are regarded as people within yeah. the universe. Um, and they're treated as people in the show. Sometimes. Which is great. Sometimes. Sometimes not so much, um, and but I, I mean more by the show than sure, by the yeah. characters in the show. Certainly, some of the characters do not treat them as people. Nope. Um, that's a big problem, um, you know. And they're they're born into servitude, and they pretty much are all going to die in battle or of uh, I guess old age at a younger age because of something about the cloning process doesn't give them as as long of a lifespan. Um, they're essentially slaves, really. So I'd say growing a slave army and fighting an intergalactic war, I'm going to say not a good thing to do. Yeah. That's just, that's like, that's where I'm going to come down on that side. You know what?
2: I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with you after, like, no consideration at all. You're correct.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, and it's not just that they're born into it, they're grown for it. It's not they're like they're right, like, yes. we need an army and these are. Like, there's an excess population. It's, we need an army, let's grow one so we don't have to sacrifice people that we actually care about. Right.
0: And, people and we actually
2: have to pay or whatever.
0: Here's what I love about science fiction, is when it takes an actual issue in our in our real world and then says, "Let's let's dial it up to 11 and take yeah. it to the logical extremes. Because, like, yes, our own world does not make clones and send them off to war as slaves. But... If you want to say that, like, we have a distinct underclass in this country who are cut off from, you know, lots of, you know, educational or, um, you know, employment opportunities and sort of raised to think, A, like, you know, rah-rah, the the military is the best thing you can ever do, and also it's your only real option, like, and then look at the way, like, the the military functions, like, the Clone Wars doesn't feel like it's completely written out of left field, you know? It feels like what they're doing with the clones is kind of, like, Yeah, like, there's a lot of echo, especially when you realize, like, this show was written mostly, like, in the later years of um, the Iraq and Afghan wars at the time when we were really starting to pay attention to, like, just how problematic that whole situation was. And I think there's many ways where the clones, sometimes in in interesting ways, sometimes in pretty heavy-handed ways, but where they're very clearly using the clones to kind of comment on the way soldiers are treated in our own world and the way, you know, the fact that the the children of the ruling class, very like the, 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 the people with money and the people with political power, very rarely are the ones whose children are themselves, you know, fighting in these wars. And, and the ability to not really care about them um, all kind of plays out in this show.
1: Yeah, and if they are, they go to an academy and they become an officer and it's a matter of choice as opposed right. to a matter of, you know, financial not necessarily necessity, but, like, some people doing it to get citizenship, some people to do it to get education, some people because they just, there aren't other economic opportunities that are uh, of an equal level mm. presented to them.
0: It's the only way to get out of your small
1: town. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's part of what I think makes the clone story so interesting and why I feel like a lot of my favorite episodes are the ones where we see the clones kind of going against what they're taught to do. Um mm-hmm. You know, the episode where um, uh, a clone uh, is a desert, uh, technically isn't really a deserter, because what what happens is that the clone basically gets left behind, but then it, uh, instead of running away from the battle, he, he just decides, like, not to try and, that very hard to go back. Um, yeah. And finds a life for himself. And I, I feel yeah. like it's just such a poignant episode, because his commander, Rex, is just baffled at the idea that any clone would want to do this, would want another life Right. And, yeah, so I, I, just, I, I love the way that I can push on that, of really asking us, like, why, why is it that we think of the clones as just... Why, and why do the Jedi just think of them as, like, just they're all cannon fodder?
2: I mean, I think it, it's very clear that they're faceless, right? So it makes it easier to dehumanize them, um, mm-hmm. at least from a uh, character's perspective. One of the things that I find interesting about the Clone Wars in general, not just the clones, but also the characters, primarily Anakin and Ahsoka, is... Um, is that they're less heroic than the characters in the Star Wars movies. They make choices, and they make bad choices, and I think that makes all of them, the clones and Anakin and Ahsoka, much more relatable in a really useful and interesting way. Um,
0: Yeah, I I think it's very true. It's interesting, I actually know that you're going in a different direction, because, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about the the ethical issues of the Jedi, Um, one of the things I think is so fascinating is, Over the series, we get told that Anakin's... Like, one of the reasons why he falls is because he develops the attachments that the Jedi are always taught not to. Um, And that he cares too much about individual people, like his mother, like Ahsoka. Um, But one of the storylines that keeps coming up is that one of the groups Anakin cares about... In a way that most of the other Jedis don't, are the clones. Like, he has much more of a loyalty to his soldiers and his guys than most of the others do... I think it's so fascinating that that's kind of shown us as, like, from the Jedi perspective, that's what leads him into evil.
2: Yeah, it's a problem. He's willing to do things that a Jedi shouldn't do nominally. Like, he's willing to cross the line to save his friends. And that's very clearly an evil thing to do. Uh, right. There's there's some sarcasm in there, folks. <laughs> just to be clear.
0: Well, and it starts by just seeing the clones as friends, as people, instead of as, right. as tools or as weapons.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I think that's kind of maybe his biggest strength, right? I mean, aside from just like being a force prodigy or whatever, and but it also can be exploited, obviously. Um, but it's the Jedi don't recognize that as a strength, like, and I think sort of the level of detachment that the Jedi claim to that they espouse, I think, isn't necessarily really productive for. People like, like they're so detached, but then they're going around being space cops in this intergalactic war, it, it kind of doesn't really add up,
2: right? The Jedi are supposed to be peacekeepers, they're supposed to be moderators, they're not supposed to be frontline warriors. And then the Clone Wars come about, and uh, who's leading the way? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's the Jedi with their lightsabers.
0: And, and we'll get more to the the Jedi themselves, but I think, um, to me it also highlights one of the other parts I just find so heartbreaking about the clones, is they're just, and we talked about this a little bit in the, the Star Wars episode, um, but the way they are just so utterly dedicated to the idea that mm-hmm. the Jedi are always right.
1: right. Um
0: And, um, you know, we, with the character of Ahsoka, I think we, like, you know, a 12-year-old girl, a 13-year-old girl is, like, giving them orders and they all look up to her, um, and and Jonah, I know um, you and I have talked about this. There's a book in which this topic is in the Clone Wars books. This is talked about even more. Can you, you touch a little bit on that and kind of like what we learned from those the Rebel Commando Republic Commando books about why it is that the clones have this just like yeah. if a Jedi speaks, the Jedi must be right kind of attitude.
2: Yeah. So pulling from the Republic Commando books, which are in the Legacy Canon, written by Karen Travis. Um, Commandos are clone troopers that have been trained in squads of four uh, to. Do slightly harder missions. They are they do commando raids, um, and in the part of their training is the Jedi are great warriors. They know no wrong. They are your commanders, and you should always listen to them. That's just drilled into them. And we see this in the first book when one of the commandos is separated from his squad and runs into a Jedi padawan. This Jedi padawan is on the verge of flunking out of the Jedi Academy. They're on the verge of taking this person and saying, go just use the Force to make plans grow. We don't need your help with the war effort right now. Um, like maybe they should all be doing, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> and as soon as the clone sees this Jedi, he just snaps to attention and says, what are your orders, Commander? Just, you have a lightsaber, you can use the Force, you are therefore higher rank than me and know how to win this war. Um, And they just, it's just an absolute faith in their training which Mm -hmm. told them to have absolute faith in the Jedi. Um, And the Jedi, particularly the Jedi Masters and some of the Knights, take advantage of this. Um, The the Clone Wars was not started on even footing. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Separatists had been building up their army, and the Republic, up until Obi-Wan went to Camino didn't know that they had any troops other than their small policing force, Um, and so when the Jedi and the rest of the Republic was given this opportunity to use the Clone Army, they were like, "Well, we don't have one, so yeah, we should just pick up this slave army. This seems good to us."
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's when like I am always frustrated by a situation where I feel like the writers don't realize the moral problems of what they're writing, and like. In those prequel movies, I don't know if the writers actually understood like just how morally broken what like the fact that yeah. Yoda is just like, oh, we don't know why we have this huge clone army, and it seems very suspicious that it was given to us, and Jedi becoming warriors is a really bad idea. Oh, but Obi-Wan's in trouble. YOLO! Let's get the clones. Um, I mean,
2: there's a very good reason for them to just so quickly accept the clone army. We need... A narrative reason for the Republic troops to evolve into stormtroopers—we need that visual link, uh, and we also want to sell merchandise that looks like stormtroopers.
0: Right. <laughs> I'm going to say that's not necessarily an in-story reason, but you're. Correct. Oh, probably not. Um, I, I, I would actually also say that it's because um, George Lucas so badly wanted this to be a kids' show. Yeah.
2: Mm. In,
0: in order to show warfare on a grand yeah. level for kids, if you have it be clones versus robots then there's no it's all faces on either side. And it's kind of I think one yeah. of those brilliant things that they did in this show, and maybe maybe Lucas always wanted this because he certainly was behind the the Clone Wars TV show to some extent, or but my understanding is that he was kind of hands off. It kind of feels like the T V show is sort of poking at that because it's sort of like Yeah, you think that it's fine for clones and droids to fight each other because there's no moral weight, but but no, like this is wrong. This is these clones are are people, um, sentience, as you said, um, and they should have some moral value. And and to me, it just makes this question, like, who are the people we look at and, and don't think of as having moral value in, in our stories and our narratives and things like that?
2: One of the more powerful lines from the Republic Commando series is just an excerpt from a Jedi apprentice who is talking to the Jedi Council, talking to the masters of the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. And he says... You were attacked. You picked up a blaster and you fired. You should be responsible for that blaster now. Uh, it's mm. clearly a metaphor, but like the Jedi Council took what they had, used it, and now they're kind of ignoring its existence as best they can. Like they're continuing to use it to defend themselves, but they don't really try to help the clones at all. Uh, like there's no clones don't get leave, clones don't get snacks, clones don't get paid, clones don't get anything other than upgrades to their kit. Like, they get better guns and better armor, uh, and they get medical attention. Handy thing about clones, if you lose an organ, we already are printing perfect organs for you. uh, Which is covered in the books, but that's just a gross but also very fascinating bit of warfare that's covered. Because, like, if a clone loses something that's important to them, we have so many donors. Yeah. Right. It's very efficient. I mean, and that's also a trademark of the clone army. They love being efficient. They're like, oh, we can do this better. Right. Um, I think part of their training is, they are better than normal sentience. Normal sentience, like, decided eventually that they wanted to be a soldier, and clones didn't decide that they wanted to be a soldier. They have known since they could know things that they were yeah. born for this. They were, and they weren't even born to fight in wars. They were born to fight in this war.
0: Yeah,
2: and they were trained to fight in this war. Um, yeah, and that's th- also really neat.
0: And I think it, I think it, it, it's part of what makes everything about the clones so heartbreaking because, um, like. There, there's been some great writing on the idea that like, one of the things that happens when like, people like, are really kind of brought up without any hope or without any dreams is like, that they never learn that things could be better, you know? and that it's hard to sort of... You need to see examples that like, your life doesn't have to be this. Um, and to me, I think like, it's one thing if you have a whole bunch of soldiers who are like, oh my God, the Republic treats us so bad, I can't stand that we're doing this, like, you know, the Jedis treat us like garbage. What makes the clone so heartbreaking is that they have no idea they think they're being treated wonderfully because they think this is all there is. And as the show goes on, more and more clones do start to question that. And then in the way that happens, I mean, this is just like a classic, like, you know, when you have siblings in an abusive situation, you know, if one sibling starts to say, like, maybe this isn't okay, the others are like, no, 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 how dare you? You can't question this because if Mm -hmm. you question it, we might have to question it too. I have to question it. Yeah. Go ahead. One of the
2: powerful things that I think was... I'm going to quote from the books, but I think it was also expressed similarly in the show, is a clone being like, I kind of pity non-clones. When you wake up in the morning, you have to make decisions. You question who you are day to day. I know exactly why I'm here. I know exactly what I'm doing. I never question my life. Yeah. And then things start to fall apart, and they do start to question their life, and... Who they're loyal to and their friendships and their connections, and to go from perfect certainty to that sort of doubt is something that's really powerful to see. Oh, yeah, imagined
0: it. it, it, it when I, I remember that episode very clearly, and I remember when I saw it, the first thing that came to mind is an interview I saw. Um, this was back when like there was still some thought that Russia was gonna sort of become a democracy, but I think this was like when Putin was first running and like. Like the media was kind of confused why, like, Putin seemed to be winning, like, democratic elections to, under, to throw out democracy. And <laughs> clearly he was, like, very, very, like, you know, the, uh, not to get into the Russian politics, but clearly there was some shadiness going on. But the clear, like, huge numbers of Russians wanted this. Mm-hmm. And there's one interview I saw with, kind of like, you know, the, the Ivan in the street. And, and he was saying, like, listen, we, we under communism, like, we knew, you know, things were understood. Now, I'm always making choices, and I always seem to be making the wrong choice, and it's terrifying, and I just want someone to make the choices again. Um, and, like, so much of me was like, no, no, that's so wrong. But I also understood, like, that's – this is why someone like, you know, uh, uh, you know, a person who stands up and says, give me all the power. I'll make the choices. I'll tell you who the bad guy is. I'll tell you who to fight. Don't worry. Um That yeah, especially for the clones who've never learned you're supposed to have choices. Like, yeah, it would be really easy to fall into that. And that's just, oh, it just hit so hard about why that kind of brainwashing can be so, so powerful.
1: Yeah, it's like you get to be a kid again, kind of. Like, you're not responsible for your choices because they're not really choices. You just do. And um, that's one of the reasons I think it's so powerful that Rex is the, you know, spoiler alert for the whole series, I guess, um, is like the clone who basically gets... Free will in the series and turns against the other clones in order 66 and survives and goes off with Ahsoka afterwards is that he's, he's the one who really kind of got to see how things could be different, right? Cause he's the one in the, in the deserter episode who, um, kind of, who hangs out with the deserter for a while and, and sees like, you know, could have a life like this. Life could be completely different. Um, and so, you know, I'm sort of curious, like, where, what, what happens after that, after the series, um, mm-hmm. in that regard, but, but yeah, the, I mean, choices, I mean, there's some studies that show, like, that the more choices people have, the less happy they are, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know how true that is, um, and that does, that's not necessarily about massive things like that, but, like, you know, if you have, like, 14 kinds of cereal to choose from, as opposed to, like, two, or whatever, but, yeah. um, yeah. But yeah, there's definitely there's there's responsibility that comes with with having choices, and um, it's I think probably even like once once you change from like being in one situation to another, it's it's always hard not to like slip back, kind of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. As a quick aside,
2: uh, your Rex. Rex's story gets more fully explored or gets continued Mm -hmm. in Star Wars Rebels. So another reason to keep watching that. Not going to tell you anything more about it, but there is some more of that story.
1: Yeah, I will. I will keep watching that. I've, I've heard that much. And, um, and I know there's hopes that he might show up somewhere else, I think. But
0: yeah, definitely. Um, so with that, um, again, we could do three full episodes just on the clones. Um, but I do want to kind of respect time and cover everything you want to do. Uh, and it's obviously very tied in, um, but shall we now move on to the Jedi?
2: Yep. You mean the people oh, who yeah. are pretty much like
0: the clones? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Jonah, let's see if you still have it committed to memory. Um, do you want to read out to us the, um, the Jedi code?
2: Oh, give me a second. Okay. I, I don't have it committed to memory, but I can pull it up.
0: Do you still have the Sith code committed to memory, or were you just... It was actually good timing last time?
2: Uh, that was just good timing. <laughs> Uh, So let us pull up that Jedi Code. So, the Jedi Code is, there is no emotion, there is peace, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, there is no passion, there is serenity, there is no chaos, there is harmony, there is no death, there is the Force. And let me just say, that's a load of bunk if, say, you're fighting in the middle of a war, seeing people, well, first of all, there is no peace, there's a war. Um, There is plenty of ignorance, because you don't know what the enemy is doing. There is definitely a lot of passion, and not a whole lot of time for serenity. The battlefield is pure chaos, and that clone over there bleeding out is definitely dying. And yeah, sure, you can be like, yeah, he's gonna rejoin the Force, but it's a lot harder to see that happening on the battlefield. Like, you don't have time to meditate on those deaths. Especially those deaths that you caused by issuing the commands to bring the clones forward with you. Yeah. Yes, this position has to be taken. And yes, that means clones are going to have to come with you. And yes, that means they're going to get shot at and die. And that was your decision as a Jedi. You brought about death.
0: Well, and let's just, let's just back up for a few seconds. uh Just sure. to uh, put this in context. because. This code, I believe, is never actually spoken on screen in, in any Jedi movie. But certainly at the time that the Clone Wars TV show was being made, it was still considered part of the canon. And I feel like... I asked you to read it because I feel like a lot of... And I think this is honestly my favorite part of the Clone Wars shows overall. Is a lot of what we're seeing is, like, the Jedi trying to live out this code. And, and how it leads to their downfall.
1: Um, oh, yeah. which
0: become and, and so let me kind of just throw out this, this question. Um, I think that I, I think we all agree that the movies don't really explain like they they, they kind of show the Jedi just being dumb and missing the boat, um, but what is it you get out of this show that kind of tells you more and helps you better understand like why did the Jedi fall?
2: Uh, I think a lot of what you see is Jedi being put in lose lose situations with regard to the Jedi Code. Um, they can choose to either let an innocent town be demolished by the separatists, or they can train the people in the town to fight back against the separatists, and so they're demolished slightly slower. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, neither of those is a good choice. You you don't get to choose peace during war without the, your enemy also choosing peace, or without you choosing to surrender. Um, and the Jedi don't get the choice To surrender. Um, The Jedi are... This is going to be a slightly longer tangent, but the Jedi have very little choice throughout their careers. Um, At the top end in the Jedi Council, while the Jedi Council is nominally independent, they answer to some degree to the Senate and to the Supreme Chancellor. They report to both bodies and they say this is what we're doing this is what we're working on and the senate and the supreme chancellor give them missions and tasks and say these are your goals these are your benchmarks that you need to hit this is your quota of planets saved um and so they don't get to choose peace they don't get to choose what they're doing um and then i on- yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Okay.
0: This is more. This is a small though. This is a smaller because I want to uh, focus on this main question. But do you think that it's intentional that in some ways, then the Jedi actually are quite similar to the clones, in that they're both like raised from very young yeah. children, no natural families, no sense of like you get to choose your destiny as an adult, very much like on rails, given these responsibilities, and and never supposed to even question that. Like, do you think that's and and also not like the clones are just they never have a chance to have attachments but the Jedi aren't supposed to have attachments but yeah like like to me do you think there's supposed to be a real similarity there?
2: Oh absolutely. Um there's so much in common between them. The as you mentioned, Jedi children are taken from their families as soon as they are identified as Force sensitive and they are brought to the Jedi temple to be raised in a passionless environment. They are raised by other Jedi who do their best not to form attachments to them. Uh, And then, at, like, age, I don't know, five or six, they're given a lightsaber. They are given an incredibly powerful weapon, and are told, hey, learn how to use this. It'll save your life one day. Now, if we jump over to clones real quick, they don't have any parents. They are born in vets. They are raised by a very passionless people, the Kaminoans, and then as soon as they are able to hold a weapon, one is put in their hands and they are told, learn how to use this, it'll save your life one day. Um, and I think it it's supposed to look like the Jedi have freedom, right? The Jedi are the commanders of the army. Jedi can do whatever they want. Um, to bring in the Phantom Menace, when little Anakon, Qui-Gon for the first time. He's like, you can just do whatever you want. You can just free all the slaves on Tatooine, right? And Qui-Gon's like, I don't think I can free any slaves here. Like, I disagree with slavery because Qui-Gon is a sane human. But, like, Jedi are very powerless. They have to abide by the laws of the galaxy and the laws of the planets they're on, and they don't get a lot of choice, and I think that's a very intentional parallel to
1: yeah they're basically kidnapped and abused as children and then told that they're they have to do this thing that's great but it's like but it's not their choice and then I mean what's their alternative besides being a Jedi it's like oh you're sort force sensitive so we're gonna take you away from your family and then we're gonna tell you what to do for the rest of your life and I mean it's it's really quite insane actually
0: yeah yeah and I feel like that's, and I think you were kind of getting into this, uh, Journal before we got on the tangent. Um, I think you were kind of getting into this, and certainly it's how I feel. To me, what I love most about the show, more than anything else, is the way it... I've ranted in other times about how I don't, I like subtlety in my villains. And I like, you know, I don't like mustache twirling. I like people who have real plans. And that what I see in the show is that the Sith, especially Palpatine recognize that there are fundamental conflicts within the Jedi Code. You know, that like, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to care for all these people but never get attached. You're supposed to be these great warriors but be servants of peace. You're supposed to be the most powerful beings in the world who everyone looks to but never develop arrogance. Um, And that Palpatine's basically able to say, okay, let's create a situation where we're going to realize all the hypocrisy of the Jedi and all of the you know all the ways in which that that already isn't true but especially when you create a a situation of warfare that there's no way it can stay true because i think part of what i what i think really the show really shows is that and and again i i'll say this before but like it's part of, i think last jedi really builds on this is it shows how arrogant the jedi have become and that becoming generals like you said like really builds on that like You know, having these hundreds of thousands of clones who look to them as these saviors. Like, what does that do to you? That they become so focused on, like, their own knowledge and power that they're willing to say, like, oh, yeah, this Anakin guy who we all think is a huge, terrible idea, let's have him hang out with Palpatine a lot, who we don't trust. Nothing (laughs) could go wrong there, I'm sure. Like, there's just so many times in the show where you see those, like, the Jedi kind of falling into this. Like, um arrogance hubris like no longer really understanding what their role of peace is um and i, I think i really love john the point you're making about how it seems like they don't have any choice because i'll talk about the war in a second there's a lot of scenes where there are senators especially padme who are really like wait do we have to fight this war should we be fighting the war and the jedi are never able to question it in their minds like nope this is there, there's the senate has said we should fight this war it's not peaceful we have to win um yeah
1: and I mean, you can kind of understand why some of them become Sith. Because it's like, it seems almost like they have a binary option, right? It's like, you can be a Jedi and continue to be a Jedi and do all the Jedi things. Or you can go to the dark side and like, maybe that's different. I don't know. Like, <laughs> the, I mean, the third option really is like, you just leave and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to do me. And, you know, maybe wander the galaxy or whatever, which seems like a good option. Like, I I, I would probably go that way.
0: There's a reason that we have a cliche of, like, if you grow up in a super repressive home where you're told, like, you know, never touch alcohol, never touch, you know, your own body, let alone the body of someone else. And then you get to college, you get to some other situation where you can go crazy. You go really, really crazy. Um, And I think the Jedi are, like, a great example of that.
2: Here's an interesting thought. What would have happened if instead of having a clone army, the Republic used conscripts, or not conscripts, but volunteers? They're just like, oh, we we need an army who is willing to fight with the Jedi in this war. Because then you have people who weren't brainwashed to just always trust the Jedi. You have people who are volunteering to work with the Jedi who had experience with them. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of... The sisters from Ahsoka's Ark in season seven, um,
0: Martez, I think it is. Mar-
2: yeah, Mar- yeah, the Martez sisters. They and their family would never have signed up to fight with the Jedi,
1: like, right?
2: And they would have like told their friends, "Yeah, don't don't sign up to fight for the Jedi. That seems like a terrible idea." And then if the Jedi start behaving poorly or behaving out of principle, the people who have real life experience, real galactic experience. And say, hey, this isn't how a Jedi is supposed to act. Whereas the clones are like, I don't know, this is how my Jedi has always acted. Yeah, he drops off the heads of things. That's what he does. Yeah, most of <laughs> the time it's droids, but sometimes it's you know separatists.
0: Yeah. All right. I, proceed. I I think that's a great question. I think it gets to the heart of this because I think if it had been an army of conscripts, real people who the Jedi could recognize the humanity of, that they wouldn't have been able they wouldn't have done this. They they would have caught themselves before falling this far. Because they would have been like, wait a minute, no, we can't just throw these lives away. We have to ask more questions. But then I think and here here again I think it's the brilliance of this, the trap that Palpatine is able to set for them is that because to some level the Jedi don't see the humanity of the clones, that they they, they can fall into that trap. You know, they can start throwing these lives away. They can start just fighting the war without end um, and, and falling into this, this kind of moral decay of the warfare because they never... Ca- and, and like, Towards the end, they start to catch themselves and, and Yoda certainly has moments of like, look how much we fucked up. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it had to be clones for that reason. I think one of the
2: interesting things that we see... I think one of the interesting things that we see in the comparison between the clones and the Jedi is their experience with the outside world Um, the clones have been raised on Kamino and then sent to battlefields and then from the battlefields, they go to their barracks that look like the barracks on Kamino and then to ships, to battlefields, to ships, to barracks, to ships, to battlefields, to ships, to barracks. And they have no experience of the outside world. When you look at the Jedi, they see the Jedi temple to ships, to Jedi temple, to ships, to Jedi temple, to mission, to Jedi temple. And they also don't get to see the outside world. They, The number of Jedi who go out and work on their speeder or, like, go to the mechanic shop and talk with somebody who isn't Force-sensitive about how they like flying, that's just not an experience Jedi have, and that's not an experience clones have. Yeah. Um, and that's yet another tie between them, and it makes it even more disturbing that the Jedi are so prepared to take these people who have no life experience like themselves and just use them for whatever purpose they see fit. They're just like, I need somebody who can shoot at robots. Let me let me get these folks on the line. Yeah. No questions asked.
1: Well, I think, I mean, I, I totally agree, but also, like, the Jedi kind of have no real context for understanding what anything else is but i don't know the the question is like this war is fairly new right yeah Yeah. um like what were they doing beforehand and like how are they so prepared to fight this war if there was it were, were there wars like battles and stuff going on before all the time
2: i mean generally what would happen is that there would be a conflict between two planets or two forces on a single planet and the Jedi would go in as moderators, as right. unbiased representatives to mediate a peaceful resolution. Right. They drew their lightsabers to defend their lives
1: yeah.
2: and defend the lives of those that they were protecting. Sometimes they, like, I don't want to say hide out, but I'm going to say it anyways. They hired out as bodyguards to protect important persons.
0: Right. Oh yeah, very much so. But...
2: They didn't fight ever. They were there to end wars by talking and to save people's lives. Um, I mean, I
0: think they did fight, like, you know... I think they were intended to sort of, like, you know... When there's sort of, like, leadership doing bad things, they're meant to sort of, like, you know, do something about those individual people or to protect people who get attacked or to, you know... Protect but...
2: people to get, that are attacked, yes. I don't think the form... I don't think they were there to deal with problematic leadership. Um, Like Yes, they could get in and talk with the problematic leadership, but in the Clone Wars, what they would do is they'd get into the problematic leadership or the Separatist commander and then either threaten him with death or them with death or execute them or take them prisoner, whereas before the Clone Wars, they would get in and say, this is the stance of the Republic, stop what you're doing or else you'll face economic sanctions.
0: Let me ask you this. Do you think Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's behavior in The Phantom Menace is in line with what the Jedi are supposed to do? Or do you think they're overstepping their bounds?
2: I think that they were entirely in line. Like, if we look at that, step one was they showed up for negotiations. Uh, As Qui-Gon said... The negotiations were short.
0: Yes, <laughs> um,
2: and then they realize there is a dignitary who is being threatened and in danger of losing her life. We are going to save her so that she can say her peace to the Senate and represent her planet and other like that's the entire thing. They are there to negotiate and then act as bodyguards. At no point, while they did act in offensive. Like, they were the aggressors at times. That was to get to be able to protect Padme. Um, yep. And it was, we're going to take the path of least resistance and get to her as quickly as possible so that we can save her and get her off this planet. It wasn't, we are trying to eliminate the enemy on this planet. They were never fighting a war.
0: Yeah. No, they, but I think that's what I mean, is that they did do some fighting. And I think that clearly the idea is supposed to be, sometimes when they get sent negotiations, like, violence winds up being a part of what happens. But you're right, it's fighting individuals, it's fighting maybe like a group of people. It's not like, you know, Qui-Gon says, I can't fight a war for you. Right. Um, even though he, right. he does, but you know. Um.
2: <laughs> they're there to fight maybe a skirmish. Right. Battles, they're not on the battlefield. And they're certainly not in the command tent telling you how to send your troops out. Right.
0: Right. Um, I want to shift to, to Anakin specifically, but is there any other kind of last things people want to say about, like, the, the ethical questions around the Jedi themselves? Again, there's so much more we could talk about, but...
2: We'll probably loop around on tangents is my thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, certainly I think Anakin is a, a time to talk about um, the, the huge problems with the, like, don't-have-attachments idea. Um but yeah, so what's your... Uh, I think we can all universally agree that the um, fall of Anakin as told in the prequels is not the most satisfying story we've ever had. Um, I, What's your take on the way it's told in the show?
2: I'm pretty happy with it. Um, the first few seasons were rough because I think they were trying to figure out whether or not they wanted to be a kids show or an animated show for people who enjoy the extended universe. Uh, and I think they ended up in seasons like five, six, and seven, being like, yeah, this isn't really a kids' show anymore. Yeah. Um, and really the last few seasons show the strength of Palpatine's plot, I think. You have Anakin being given conflicting instructions, right? He's told, don't have any strong feelings, but also run into a battlefield. Um don't feel attached to any one person, but also make sure to take care of every single one of these clones under your command, and take care of your Padawan, and make sure your master is doing all right. Um, And then, we get to see what I think is part of the brilliance of Palpatine. We get to see Anakin slowly lose every single one of those. Um, I think it's Palpatine's shenanigans that make him lose Ahsoka, um, and slowly drives a wedge between him and Obi-Wan, and begins to separate him from his troops. Uh, And we get to see all of those small cracks put into Anakin's armor, so that in Revenge of the Sith, we see the final hammer blow. And the final hammer, like, in in Revenge of the Sith, if you just watch that, it's one swing, and Anakin falls, and that's not very satisfying. If you watch the Clone Wars he's already been knocked down 20 times. Yeah. This isn't a one-hit KO. This is this has been a three-year-long battle between Palpatine and Obi-Wan.
1: Yeah, and um, being able to tell a story like that over such a period of time lets it breathe. It, it allows there to be... There's some episodes about this and that, and then there's an episode where you know, Anakin wants to torture someone or wants to force choke someone. And then, you know, and you just play like a few notes of the kind of Vader theme underneath it, right? And then then you move on. And then the next episode, everything's like kind of back to normal and you're continuing along, you know. Um, And then, you know, maybe even a season later, then there's there's that... I forget who it was, but kidnaps um, Obi-Wan and uh, that pacifist leader of um mandalore oh,
0: yeah a uh, Duchess Satine or sabine yeah
1: and he's like who's gonna kill me a pacifist or a jedi and then anakin just like stabs him through the chest from behind and then he kind of like gives a shrug like what <laughs> like hey guys i'm anakin you know yeah. and
0: i think there was once again like just a few notes of like some of the dark side theme music or the vader theme music
1: yeah and so it's subtle and it starts off with things that seem very like very reasonable actions which you know in context to some extent are. And so it, it just sort of, you know, he he kind of develops a certain, I guess, moral flexibility, but um and then meanwhile Palpatine's trying to undermine, you know, his connection with the Jedi or um, you know, take things away from him and, you know, losing Ahsoka uh, in the the end of season uh is it five or five season five, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a big deal. And, and then season six feels different. Right. And being able to tell that story over so much time and have just these little, little things then leading to bigger things, but not just like bang, 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 you know, one, two, three, four. It's having time to breathe, having a character really have an arc as opposed to just like a little curve, um, It's just so much more powerful. It feels more realistic. It's more compelling. Um, And then, you know, rewatching Revenge of the Sith, you know, that one scene still feels to me like, you know, but at the same time, it's, it doesn't feel like this just right turn, like there's, or U-turn or whatever. It feels like, yeah, this is kind of the arc he's been on. And I wish this scene were done in a more compelling way, but it, it makes so much more sense in context ...than, like, well, you've got episode two... ...and then episode three, and you're like, what?
0: It, it, it fills in the gap, you know? And, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it A, because you have the chemistry... ...of him and Padme, and so you can, like, sort of yeah. understand... Right. ...why he wants to keep her alive. Right, it matters. Right. Like, but even more, like, because you've now seen so much... ...of, like, the Jedi not treating him well... ...and him, like, yes. all... The, ...like, for me, in a lot of... ...like, when I now watch Return of the... ...Revenge of the Sith, Padme is kind of the catalyst... ...but to me, the real thing that drives him over... Is the Jedi not trusting him? And and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to me, what's so brilliant in the Clone Wars is in some ways Anakin is the hero because Anakin's one of the only ones who sees the hypocrisy of the Jedi. He thinks this yeah. whole idea of attachment is dumb. Because it kind of is. He thinks yeah. the idea of not caring about the clones is kind of dumb. Cause it kind of is. And like yeah. it's never explicitly stated, but um maybe. With all the resources and money of the the Jedi, which clearly is tons, they could have sent yeah. someone back to Tatooine to buy his damn mother out of slavery.
1: Like, you'd, you'd think so, right? Um, like,
0: But yeah, but that, like, and, like...
1: Yeah, like that one's on them.
0: I, like, I love stories about a fall from grace, you know? And like yeah. a lot of the times the best part of that story is when the person has very legitimate, like they see very real hypocrisy in the group that they're in. And then the mm-hmm. devil figure is, like, whispering in their ear, like, no one else will yeah. talk to you about this hypocrisy, so I will, so now you trust me, and of course my way is better. And that's exactly what, like, right. to me that's what's so brilliant, Clone Wars do that with Anakin and and Palpatine so well.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's very much the Jedi and the Sith, specifically Palpatine, I think sets up very much sort of a kind of a lesser of two evils situation where... You know, I mean, the Sith are just unabashedly horrible, right? There's there's just no grayness. There's no, you know, well, yeah, maybe... You know, oh, maybe you clearly don't. haven't heard me talk about the Sith. <laughs> I've, I've heard some people make some points, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, I think they're clearly horrible. But, like, when... I also think the Jedi are horrible, and, like... Yeah, I guess they're less horrible, but, like, to me, it feels a lot like, I don't know, maybe, like, certain electoral politics where, like, you know, you're presented with a a choice between really horrible options and, like, sometimes people focus on how bad one is and then they're like, whatever, I don't even care how bad the other is. I'm just, you know, and that doesn't mean that there's not a difference. I mean, there's definitely a difference between the Sith and the Jedi, but like, you know, the idea there is no chaos, there is order. It's like that actually sounds kind of Sithy to me. Yeah. Like,
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, if we want to look at Obi Wan in Revenge of the Sith, he has that very famous line of only Sith deal in absolutes. Now, <laughs> yeah, I want to read yeah, yeah, the yeah. Jedi Code to you again real quick. There is mm-hmm. no emotion. There is peace. Mm-hmm. There is no ignorance. There is no... Does that sound like an absolute to you? Because it sounds like an absolute to me. Also, only it sounds like Sith a long deal in list absolutes? Of... Yeah.
1: Like, that, that also sounds like an absolute. Jedi deal in long Jedi. lists of absolutes, not just single absolutes. except
0: for that one about well and and, and let's i I use that to get into one of my other favorite parts of this of this this series especially in terms of how it relates to this whole idea of attachment i love that we learn like it'd be one thing if you were like nope all the jedi if you're raised as padawans you never attempted everything's perfect it's just that anakin is totally fucked up because he was raised too late but we learn in the show that obi-wan was deeply tempted that he apparently came very close yeah, to, yeah. and like to some extent, like if she had said she wanted him to, he would have left the Jedi Order for the Mandalorian Duchess. Um, yeah. what, what's kind of your take on that, that whole arc and, and the way it, it affects all these questions about the Jedi and attachment and everything else?
2: I really like that arc. Uh, I think it shows that the Jedi have more depth than just, like, they can function outside of their quote-unquote programming, um, Obi-Wan can question what he was raised on and then you see the tragedy of him being like well I guess this is what I'm doing I guess I'm just gonna keep on being a Jedi and continue with this cause like he knows that there's something like that out there for him he could look for it and he just chooses not to
0: yeah and there he makes that choice. He decides to stay. Um, I, I think, to me, part of why I like it is, uh, you know, one of the not plot holes, but things you kind of scratch your head at is it is it has to be very clear to Obi Wan that Anakin and Padme are in love. Like, um, and you always kind of wonder, like, why doesn't he put a stop to it earlier? Um, I I don't know if this is me headcanoning, but I I kind of like the idea that maybe part of it's because some part of him the whole thing with the Duchess kind of made him think maybe the attachment thing isn't true, and he kind of, like... He has some sympathy for for Anakin, and he can't... Like, the idea of yeah. making Anakin make the choice that he made, like, he can't bring himself to do that.
2: Yeah. I mean, if we, again, from the scene on Mustafar, uh, Obi-Wan says, you were my brother. Like, Obi-Wan clearly is deeply, deeply attached to Anakin. Yeah. Yeah. Anakin is his best friend in the galaxy. Yeah. And... Like, Obi-Wan clearly doesn't ascribe to the whole no-attachment deal. And so I yeah. I don't think he forces that on Anakin, because Anakin's clearly attached to Ahsoka and clearly attached to Padme. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, Obi-Wan expresses some emotion in that scene. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> some there, passion. There is no serenity there. There is passion.
1: Yeah.
0: I think part of what it gets to is that, like, there's just so much hypocrisy. Like, maybe the Jedi at one... Because you're right. Like, that code is all absolutes. And you can't really follow a set of absolutes. Like, it's just... It's not possible. Like, there's so much moral complexity in life. And I feel like so much what the show is getting at is, like, yeah, the, the, the rank hypocrisy within the Jedi that they have these absolutes that they're not living up to, but that they keep holding Anakin to. And that's just what yeah. drives him crazy. Yeah. I think
2: what's interesting is looking at the Sith code... Uh, they only have one absolute there. Or, I mean, it's some contingencies, but they start with peace is a lie, there's only passion. And then through passion I gain strength, through strength I gain power, through power I gain victory, through victory my chains are broken, the force shall set free me. Um, and like, we start with one absolute, which is absolute peace isn't true. There is, you have to care about things is the basis of the Sith code. And I'm not saying that the Sith are good guys,
0: to be (laughs) clear. Uh, But it's a much more solid foundation for a belief system. Yeah, uh, Because it's talking about how you can grow and become stronger, uh, and how you can empower
2: yourself, whereas the Jedi Code is limiting. It's just like, these are the things that you are not allowed to take part in.
1: These are it's things a bunch that, of don'ts as opposed to do's, basically.
2: Right. These are things that you need to reject from your life. You are not allowed to accept that death is a thing. Um, and I think that's actually one of the biggest problems that the Jedi... Like, that's one of the things that pushed Anakin away from them. They're like, look, your mother's death doesn't matter. She's with the Force now. And he's right. like, hold up. It matters. And, like, yeah. that's that's super impactful. Somebody that he spent nine years of his life with caring about and, like, helping make her life better on a daily basis, being told, oh, she's with the Force now, is so incredibly dismissive of his pre-existing feelings.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, the Jedi basically offer him thoughts and prayers. Um, right. Right. <laughs> And, yeah. and and Palpatine doesn't. Palpatine acknowledges that pain, and he kind of said like, and, and and he kind of says, "Good, you know, good that you did what you needed to do." Because he's the only one who listens to Anakin. Um, the other thing I was going to say, just you on know, what you were saying, Jonah, is do, do you think it's fair to say that? Um, and this is ironic, given how deceitful the Sith are in everything they do, but that in the code, at least, the Sith seem far more honest. Like they're much more like, we're not going to hide, we're not going to tell you that we're perfect people. We want power, we want control, and if we're strong enough, we get to get it. Um, like, that. Feel, like it doesn't justify it. I still think they're awful. But, like, do, do you think it's it's fair to say that they feel more honest than the Jedi do?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, the Jedi Order is all about deceit. Um, like, the Jedi Order presents a perfect... There are so many factions within the Jedi. In the extended universe, there are Jedi talking about why they're fighting the war, and there's some who don't fight, and they're the Grey Jedi, and they're Jedi who have fallen to the dark side, and they disagree about how people should be trained and all sorts of things. Um, And they say that they're peacekeepers, and then they go and fight wars, and there's just a lot of deceit in the Jedi. Uh, Now, that's not saying the Sith don't also have deceit, but I think the Sith are... Deceitful towards others and true to themselves, hmm. by and large. And the Jedi try to be honest to others, but they're found they deceive themselves in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they're they're lying to themselves about who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the thing is that it's presented as I mean, the Jedi kind of presented as this like binary, like either you're a Jedi or you're a Sith. But, you know, there are points where we see all these other Force users. uh, I mean, not a ton, but, you know, there's a lot of other things. The only reason that most Force users are either Jedi or Sith is because the Jedi go around kidnapping all of the Force-using children. Yeah. (laughs) Force-sensitive children, right? So, like, they've basically just made that the case. Right. And they're like, it's our way or the Sith way. And it's like, well...
0: And yet uh, they acknowledge, like, Count Dooku leaves the Jedi Order. Um, right you know uh, uh, you know Obi-Wan talks about like I could have left the Jedi Order uh, but decided not yeah. to but I could have so obviously that option's mm-hmm. there um, mm-hmm. one of the thing, and this is more on the Jedi than on Anakin but I think it kind of just fits into all we're talking about um, one other way in which I feel like this story helps to fill in like a, a gap about the world building that didn't make sense that just fits into all this ethical stuff we're talking about is um, the Jedi believe that they are the the keepers of peace and goodness in the galaxy, you know, peace and justice in the galaxy. And one of my thoughts always was, and part of one of the problems I had watching the Clone War, the, the movies was, why is it that the people of the Republic are so willing to say, these people who we have like, our children have been taken away from us, and we're like proud to have our children be part of this mighty group of warriors, and they are the peacekeepers, and everyone loves them. Why are the people so easily like, oh, nope, now they're the enemies again? Um, and I feel like part of what the show does, again, subtly, they don't focus on it much, but they, they give you elements of, is is showing us those places in which because of the Jedi becoming so arrogant and so hubristic, mm-hmm. like, that's not a word, but, you know, full of hub- whatever it is. Um, yeah. yeah, it is. I yeah, okay, it is. okay, it's a word. It's a word. Sure. Because of that, the people kind of, like, watching the Clone Wars, it makes it really easy for me to think, like, yeah that the people would be like, yeah, the Jedi are kind of like, of course the Jedi would want to take over. Of course the Jedi would want to kill Palpatine. All they want is their own power. Um, Because the Jedi have played right into the hands of that stereotype. Yeah, I think that by the fall of the Republic,
2: the Jedi are that really, really annoying, lawful good paladin in your D&D group. And you're like, can you please just stop turning us all in or attacking us the instant we have a non-lawful good thought?
1: Yeah. right
2: and it's just like ugh, jedi they're just they just want to enforce the laws they they are blind to circumstance like I think a lot of people would believe that a jedi would cut off the hand of a thief who stole a scrap of moldy bread just to feed themselves because the jedi there's no passion there's
0: just serenity
2: you just there is no chaos there is order
0: I mean, to me the jedi are cops and that same sense of, like, yeah. just, there's no openness to be like, maybe we're not actually doing our, our job correctly.
2: Yeah, and they, well, they theoretically have accountability to the Senate and the Supreme Chancellor. That's during the time of war. Before that, they, like, the Senate would sometimes be like, hey, can you help us with this? And they'd do that. But a Jedi walking on the streets were the law. They could just be like, hey... Nobody can stop me. I have powers that you cannot even begin to comprehend. I have a weapon that obviates the use of yours. Yeah. And they didn't really answer to a higher authority. Like, yeah, they answered to the Jedi Council, but that's internal.
0: Yeah, I mean, throughout the war, one thing I think was always fascinating is, like, the Jedi direct the war entirely on their own. And, like, the senators are frustrated, but, like, you know, in every democratic society I've ever known, like, it's always thought, like, one of the The worst things can happen is if the military isn't under direct civilian rule. Um, Yeah. And and it's not really here. And it's not even under, like, how many times do we watch Anakin be like, okay, Jedi, okay, Uh, sorry. How many times do we watch Obi-Wan say, Anakin, here are your orders. And then Anakin say, nah, I'm going to do something else. And then Obi-Wan and Mace are just like, ah, that's Anakin being Anakin. Let's go clean up his mess. Like, that's not how military is supposed to work. (laughs) Like, you need some kind of chain of command. But... The Jedi are each, like, you know, they're, they're autonomous. Each of them, like, just do your own thing, and none of us can stop you.
2: Yeah. Uh, in the extended universe legacy, your Legends canon book, Shatterpoint, by Matthew Stover, a book mostly about Mace Windu, it talks a little bit about his apprentice, Deppa uh, who is a Jedi master in her own right and a member of the Jedi Council. And uh, this is minor... This is actually... Mm, Yeah, this is minor spoilers. Um, She is... She almost falls to the dark side and she is fighting for a group of people who have allied themselves with the Separatists. She is literally fighting against Republic troops. Hmm. Uh, And you know what happens? She gets captured, brought back to the Jedi Temple. They talk to her. And then they give her a new apprentice. (laughs) <laughs> they're just like don't fight against the Republic again that was bad of you she led a guerrilla war against them and got no punishment and the Jedi are like yeah we're here to keep the peace
0: Yeah. and just totally trusted like well you're a Jedi I'm sure you'll do the right thing um, yeah there's one more point I want to make about the Jedi and then I want to move on to the discussion of the war and um, Paul this is going to involve a fairly major spoiler about the, um, the rebels that you haven't rebels. gotten to yet so what I'm going to suggest is Paul, would you be okay, like just hitting mute for um, uh, a little bit, like a minute or two, and then I'll text you and you can unmute.
1: Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I'll go eat some chocolate. Okay. Muted.
0: So there's one last point I want to make about the um the Jedi. Uh, and I I Paul hasn't finished seeing Star Wars uh, Rebels, so Jonah, this will just be you and me talking about it. But I think it. Uh, and and for anyone who also hasn't seen Star Wars Rebels, it's not a huge plot point, but it's a very interesting moment. Um, so if you don't want to spoil anything about, um, uh, uh, Rebels, skip ahead like two or three minutes. Uh, we'll bring, uh, Paul back as well when we're done with this conversation. But Jonah, do you remember the moment in, um, it's the second season of Rebels when one of the Jedi in that show is talking to Yoda and Yoda explicitly says the Jedi fell to the dark side?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that.
0: That, I think, that moment felt to me like the the bridge that was needed between The Clone Wars and Last Jedi. Because that's always what I saw in The Clone Wars. And they never quite explicitly said that. But it always felt like not only was Anakin falling to the dark side, but so were the Jedi. You know, they were angry about losing the war, and so they were going to greater and greater lengths. And they were getting lost in their own sense of their own power and, like, not willing to doubt themselves or listen to criticism. Um, like, you know, I think Yoda means it kind of metaphorically. Like, he's not saying that, like, all of us became Sith, but he's saying, like, we went down that dark path that I'm always... And I, I think he specifically says, like, you know, our fear became anger, our anger became uh, hate, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He Basically I, quotes himself. Um, and to me, that I whole... Think- idea is just the moral center of star wars anyway this idea of like you can be fighting evil for the best of reasons and become evil by letting yourself get lost in that fight um so yeah i i just thought that was such the perfect way of, of putting a a, a a lampshade on on that essence of the clone wars but what, what was your take on that
2: i think as the jedi during the clone wars were pushed to Find more victories with fewer resources as the clones started to die off and the replacements weren't coming quickly and medical resources were being used up and not replenished. They were still being told to find the same results. And so the Jedi stopped being concerned as much about perfection and they moved to the ends justify
1: the means. This victory is worth the cost because we need to save the Republic because the Republic is the shining gem of all hope and liberty in the galaxy. Right. And we are the
2: only possible savior for the Republic. And so I think that's a very true take because the ends justify the means is the Sith philosophy as opposed to the Jedi philosophy.
0: And I think, I think what you just said there is also so key is that for them, saving the Republic at all costs is the is the end-all goal. They never ask why. They never say, like, it should we be doing this and what is the cost of us doing this and is it worth it? Um, right. And, and to me, again, I think, I mean, talk about, you know, again, mirror of our own world, the mirror of our own dark side, like, you know, uh, you know, not to get too political here, but like, you know, for me, that that's United States foreign policy in an absolute nutshell of like, we convince ourselves that we are the, the right and true protectors of freedom and democracy in the world. and. So everything we do, if the people don't think they need us, well, they they need us. We just know better. And once you now start critiquing the United States, well, no, like, we have to protect freedom and we have to protect the United States, and that's the only way to do it. And just you get locked in this cycle, and all of a sudden now you're as oppressive as anyone else. Um, And I feel just like the the Clone Wars is the perfect metaphor of that.
2: The Republic is very clearly massively
0: corrupt and inefficient. Like, planets like Tatooine and other countries the uh, planet's controlled by
2: the Hutt, not great places for anybody to live, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have um, just the corruption within the Senate, like the Bank and Clans and the Nimodians who are part of the Senate before the Clone Wars begins. They're part of the Republic. They are doing terrible things. Like, the lay the Trade Federation, lays siege Naboo they lay siege to an entire planet and the senate is like we'll find them a little
0: bit Yeah, I mean, I, and the world like this is
2: fine general, like, this is fine this is the best government we have and there's nothing we can do to improve anything
0: Let, let's use that to tra- I'm going to now get Paul back because uh, <clears throat> that's a great way to transition into a discussion of the war itself because I, I have some thoughts on the people of Naboo so let's let's transition to the last big thing we wanted to talk about um which is the war itself um and I think it ties very much into this. We've talked about it, like the war in terms of the way it affects the clones, the war in terms of the way it affects the um the Jedi. But let me start with just two simple questions. Why are the separatists leaving the Republic? And why is that so bad?
2: I have
1: no answer.
2: <laughs> Great. I have answers. Now again, I'm gonna be pulling a little bit from the Legends Canon Extended Universe, because that's where a lot of my expertise comes from, and that's where a lot of the extra world building comes from.
0: Um, well, but but hold sep- on, Jenna, before you do that, do you at least agree that, like, from the show itself, it, you get bits and pieces, but very little of the actual answer to that question?
2: Yeah, you get very little. Um, and you get most of it, honestly, from The Phantom Menace. Uh, and the reasons are mostly economical. Um, you're looking at the banking clans and the trade federation and like several other major commercial and industrial organizations that feel like the republic's regulations are strangling their opportunity to make profits that's the cynical look right um that's the that's the interpretation of the republic the republic is saying These companies want to avoid regulation. They want to avoid taxes. They want to have their own private armies and have free reign over the galaxy to exploit planets, peoples, and resources. Um, What the Separatists say is that the Galactic Republic is an organization that is 3,000 years old at least. And they are trying to govern thousands of planets with thousands of different life forms like some of these species can't communicate with each other some of them don't even they don't think in the same way it's not possible for them to think in the same way because their physiology is so different and yet the go- the republic is trying to govern all of them this government is too big and we need to be allowed to govern ourselves that's what the separatists are saying their line is as well uh, it is one
0: Part of my point with asking that question is the movies don't explain it in the slightest. I right. wish the Clone Wars had gone more into it, but I do think the show does a great job of showing some of that, and that yeah. there's far too much mustache twirling for my taste on behalf of the Clone the Separatist leaders, but that you do meet a lot of Separatist leaders who clearly have like some real grievances against the Republic. Um,
2: you also see some people who are common Separatist citizens. They are people who are not leaders, they're not even soldiers, but they s- support the separatist ideas. Right.
0: And and part of where it gets to me for it, part of what where, where why I wanted to go here is because, and, and Jonah, we were, we were kind of talking about this just a moment ago, but I think it, it plays this whole thing, is, to me, one of the great moral failings of the Republic and the Jedi, and that the show does start to point out the problem with, is that they never really ask... You no. Know, never mind why the separatists want to leave the republic they never ask why that's a bad thing like
1: right why do we not want to let them leave the republic
0: right like we keep hearing like this is a threat to the, the republic the separatists never say they want to like conquer the republic they just want to go off and do their own thing um and I feel like if they ever said like yeah and it'll be so terrible for the poor living under the separatist republic we, we have to stop that but like, there's none of that it's just the republic is great the republic is grand we have to save the republic um And to me, that's just such a, like, microcosm of everything that's wrong with the Republic and the Jedi.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they were right that the Republic was great, like, that the Republic was offering, you know, I don't know, healthcare and universal basic income to everybody in the Republic. Or, like, everybody had, you know, everything they needed and opportunity for what they wanted in the Republic. Like, there were no... Like slave planets and So the Republic
2: has outlawed slavery. Tatooine is not part of the Republic.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. That's, but, that's good to know. But
2: like that's one of like those good things about the Republic. They have right. they have trade regulations and they have outlawed slavery. Right. Yeah. That's that's a very low bar
0: and Republic government. And in theory a it lot is. of the separatists are coming from those worlds that are like not quite Tatooine, but close in that like the, the they're nominally part of the Republic, but the Republic doesn't actually help them in any way. Um, and right. So, which, which leads me to I will say the I mean there's many plot holes in the show. It's not perfect by any means, but I think the one problem I have with the whole setup of the war. Mm-hmm. Let's imagine that you were a small planet, and you got invaded by a whole bunch of people who basically are just trying to take over your planet so they could control, oh, I don't know, let's say your trading routes. Um, and you were a good member of the Republic, and you went to the Republic and said, please send Jedi and help us fix this. And then you went to the Senate and said, hey, our planet's being invaded. We're part of the Republic. This is your job. Please send an army to help us drive these people away. And the Republic said, no, nah, we've got to discuss this in committee, and we've got to talk about it for a long time, and we can't really help you. And you're only really able to save your planet by pretty much doing it yourself with maybe the help of those two Jedi who didn't really want to be there in the first place. Why in the world is Naboo not leading the separatist coalition? Right. Like who else has a bigger reason to say like the Republic is fundamentally corrupt. It's not helping us anymore. We have to leave.
1: Well, their, they're Queens dating a Jedi. So.
0: <laughs> not, not the queen anymore. The Senator now.
1: Oh, the democratically elected queen who became a Senator. Right. Is there a different queen after her? Yes, okay. there is.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: so I, I think method of government very
2: confusing. Yeah. One of the Go things ahead. that is up with Naboo is that, um, well, they certainly don't want to join the Separatists, because the Separatists are like, yeah, we're just going to take your planet and take away all of its resources and turn that into profit for us. Uh, so they don't want to join the Separatists for that reason. Um I can see them wanting to have their own faction. And you can kind of see that in what Padme's doing. She's trying to reforge the Republic to be a better place. She's trying to get them to make decisions faster and to put harsher sanctions on the Trade Federation so they can't have a droid army as part of their, like, company package. Um, And I think what's happening with Naboo is that they're working within the framework That's available to them. Yes, she would love it if there was a government that was more able to help her cause. She knows it's not the Separatists, and I think Padme is an idealist who believes that the majority of the senators want what's best for the galaxy at heart. And she gets a little bit of that with uh, Bail Organa from Alderaan who's right. another idealist, and they work together a the and they're like, yes, we can make a change. Yeah.
0: And, and I agree with you there. Like, putting aside my, my thoughts on what I wish uh, Padme and, and Naboo was doing, I do like that there's a number of episodes, starting early least season two, where Padme and, uh, and Bale and some of the others are the ones asking, like, why Why do we have to fight? Can't we let negotiations work? Can't we try diplomacy? Um, because I think, and that to me that's kind of the ethical thing here, is that it's, to me, this is the, the kind of idea of how war can generate its own momentum and its own gravity. And, like, um, I was reading a book about um, uh, uh, World War I and how so much of what happened was that, like, once everybody was at war, if you settled peace without winning, that would mean admitting that, like, you've told your people that you have to win or else everything will be a failure. So if you no. have peace without that, then you have to admit that you were wrong. Um, and I kind of feel like that's, that's what's happening here. The Republic is stuck in the same thing and the Jedi very much of we can't doubt we how much treasure, how many lives have we wasted on this war. We can't just accept that maybe this is okay. We have to win.
1: Yeah, they're like pot committed basically.
0: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Any other kind of last thoughts on the, the army, the, the war and what, what the war kind of shows us in terms of the, the ethical questions it raises?
2: Yes, I have them, but they're coming.
1: Okay.
2: Oh. It, It'll take a minute. Oh. So feel for free me, to
1: talk. I basically say that, um, you know, I think what the separatists want is unclear in the series. Um, why the Republic doesn't want the separatists to leave is unclear in the series. Um, in the movies, it seems that the whole separatist movement is basically sparked by Sidious. And he's basically trying to manipulate them into being an enemy for the Republic so he can militarize the Republic and get it used to being, um, a more, you know, he's basically trying to build a military industrial complex and then seize war powers essentially and get people within the Republic to just accept a higher level of authoritarianism and, um, And so it's, it very much feels like a manufactured war that might have been manufactured based on some existing grievances. And the Jedi are basically fools who fall for it and go ahead with using, you know, a a clone army, basically a slave army to fight a war that doesn't necessarily make that much sense. Um, So in summary, everybody's horrible, but the series is good. You should watch it.
0: And I appreciate that like towards the end of the show, like Yoda and some of the other top Jedi acknowledge that. Like they acknowledge, like, yeah, yeah we were fools. Something something has gone terribly wrong here. And we mm-hmm. want the war to end, but we need to we need to break this cycle.
1: Right. They're like, what are we doing? How did we get to this point?
2: Yeah, the war is absolutely a contrived war. It is a plot by Palpatine. He's the one who created both armies. He's the one who helped the Separatists develop the resources and tools needed to develop their druid armies, and he's the one who put the idea in the head of the person who put the idea in the head of the person who put the idea in the head of the person who ordered the clone army, right? And so he's the progenitor of both armies in this war, and he's the one who's like, yep, these Separatists now exist. They've had a cause, but they haven't had the resources. Now they have the resources, they have the one leader to push them forward, And the Republic has somebody in charge who's willing to fight against them, um, which is also him. And so it's definitely a contrived war, which is part of the reason why it's impossible to find peace. Because neither the Separatists nor the Republic will surrender until the Supreme Chancellor or Darth Sidious surrenders to (laughs) himself. And he's not going to do that until his goals are met. Right, um, yeah. and so it's a meaningless war, and it's very difficult for the Jedi to question it because Palpatine is able to say these companies just want to pillage planets and take away freedoms from others. You're going to let that slide, yeah. and they're like, mm, "We can't, we shan't." was like, "Great, <laughs> well, there's a planet for you to go wave your lightsabers at." Yeah. Um,
0: I've spoken before on this podcast a little bit earlier in the episode, but I want to kind of go into a little more depth with it because I think what you just said really ties into this. Um, And it's what is so brilliant about Palpatine. I mean, I'm not admiring him. He's obviously a horrible evil and also one of the worst mustache twirlers that has ever been written in any TV show or movie ever. Um, But in this regard, his character is brilliant is um, you know, for me, the reason why star Wars has always been kind of the heart and soul of my morality is this idea of that what I was talking about a moment ago that like anger for good can, like can turn to bad things? And I think I used to be very much a like so never let yourself feel emotion like you have to you know mm. you know rage for justice is wrong and terrible and bad. I have one hundred percent changed my mind on that, and certainly recent events I think very much helped demonstrate that that like you know rage and anger can can have some real good good direction and purposes. But I still do – I mean I still think my moral core is the idea that like, you know, when when you're angry, it's very hard to see nuance. And when you are – when you tell someone someone else is the enemy or the bad guy, it's very hard to see something from their perspective. And when you tell yourself you are the good guy and you have to be the one to save everything, um, it's very hard for you to recognize your own problems and mistakes and that that like, – to me, the moral center of Star Wars is that those are the things that can lead you to the dark side and can lead you to start justifying more and more terrible things until you've lost any sense of what your own morality is. And I think kind of what everything we've been talking about is that everything Palpatine does is to help push people down those roads, you know, to take the the natural grievances of the Republic and the Separatists and push them to the point where diplomacy is po- impossible, To to take the Jedi to the point where they... They can't recognize their own failings, and so they can't recognize like the evil that's growing in their midst, um, what they do with Anakin. like To me, it all just ties into that idea of what leads to the dark side.
2: I think something that's really fascinating is that by creating this army and putting the Jedi in charge of it, what Palpatine has done is put the Jedi in a position where they are distinctly uncomfortable. They are They don't know what to do. And so they are scared and afraid of screwing up, of not being able to save the Republic. And you know what being scared is the first step on?
0: Fear leads to anger.
2: Anger leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side.
0: Hate leads to suffering, that leads to the dark side,
2: yeah. Yeah, he's put them on the first step to the path to the dark side, and by putting them, giving them an implacable enemy, that's going to lead like, they're going to be shorted by him telling the Senate to not give them resources, so they're going to be angry at their leadership. They're not going to have enough resources. They're going to see their the people that they're working with die with much greater frequency. That's going to lead to suffering. He's pushing as many of the Jedi as possible, just en masse, towards feelings of the dark side. And sure, many of them may have the stoicism necessary to resist that. But the number of Jedi who leave the Jedi Order, I think it's mentioned at the time of the Phantom Menace is something like 13 in living history. That number gets much, much higher by the end of the Clone Wars. In that three-year gap, they more than outnumber the previous 3,000 years. And that's on top of Order 66. Palpatine's
0: smart. Yeah Jonah I, I mean I think it's a great point. I think it, it, it really ties into how just this is all chess pieces being moved on the board and we talked about how we kind of wished that there was just like Order 66 got its own season you know even because like one of the things oh, I would have loved be so good. one of the things I would have loved to see is like Anakin finding some of the other Jedi who are also frustrated like you know that it's not just him and that maybe he winds up like hunting them down later because they're like rivals or something but like yeah, I don't. I don't think it would be that just Anakin would would fall like this. You know that other. Um, I mean, even just see flashbacks of like, what happened to Sifo-Dyas? What happened to Count Dooku? Why did they fall? Um, I would have loved to, it, in the, um, the episodes of Star Wars Universe podcast. We're talking about um, the. Um, we're talking about the movies. We basically kind of rewrote how we thought <laughs> the second movie should have gone, and we said like. Count Dooku should have been a major character from the beginning, but only become a Sith at the very end. You know, if, like, he starts as a character who has very legitimate grievances against the Republic, and is very angry, and Palpatine is able to kind of, like, or Sidious, it would have to be Sidious, but, like, stoke that till he finally falls to the dark side. Um, yeah, because I think to see more of that conflict within the Jedi themselves, I think would have been such great storytelling. Um,
2: yeah, I'm down for that. I've watched that show.
0: And, and to me, I think the reason it matters is, like, for me, I love a villain I can relate to, you know? And I I can't relate to a mustache twirler. I can look at a mustache twirler and go, I have never felt the urge to shout, unlimited power! Um, okay, maybe when I was 12. But, like, but, yeah, to be, like, if my mom was hurt, would I want to go, like, to, if my, my fiancé or my wife, as Mary is going to become one day, like, if she was in danger, would I want to do almost anything to protect her? Like, maybe. Like, Anakin's a villain I can relate to. And that just, to me, it, it's, that makes it so much more of an ethical challenge.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think that the Clone Wars does touch into it. And I think that when both of you have finished watching Rebels, we'll probably come back and talk a little bit more about ethics. Um, but, like, we see Ahsoka, who has left the Jedi Order, she's also questioning things. And maybe she's a better person than the Jedi. Yeah. after having left the order because she is more able to question things. Um, and I think that's a really powerful thought that like yeah. for like leaving the Jedi order made her better.
0: And I'm going to um here uh, for anybody who hasn't seen uh, star Wars rebels jump ahead a little bit. Um, This is the last point we're going to make, but I know here I'm going to talk about something that Paul, I know you've seen at least the first couple episodes, you know, this, um, I do love that in Star Wars Rebels, we get introduced to a a former Jedi, someone who's still trying to hold to the Jedi ideals, but he was raised as a Jedi, who has a girlfriend. Um, so, like, clearly, he's trying to be a Jedi. He's trying to keep him from the dark side, but he's given up entirely on this whole no attachments thing. And he clearly has very strong emotions. Um, so, I, I to me, it's that same kind of thing. I'm like, this is someone who is, I think the writers are intentional, like, He's trying to hold to the Jedi ideals, but he's not trying to be a Jedi anymore. And maybe that's better.
2: Yeah, I think he's keeping to the goals of peace and prosperity and justice and not keeping to the strict tenets of this is what you're allowed to do, this is how you're allowed to find peace. Right.
0: And it's, I... I, I I've always liked the idea of looking at the at the Jedi through the lens of religion and seeing it as having the problems of religion does. And I think... Last Jedi, I think, very much takes that idea and runs with it. And one of the things that I think happens a lot so sort of sociology of religion shows this is that a religion will say, here's the, here's the thing we care about. Here's the rules we're going to build to get to the thing we care about. And at some point in time, people stop thinking about the thing you're supposed to care about and the rules take on a life of their own. And the irony is that almost every great religious leader who's come along on some level has been saying, forget about the rules, let's get back to what we're supposed to care about. Um, and then there people are almost like, cool, awesome, let's make new rules based on what you just said. Um, and I think right. That's exactly what the Jedi are. You know, the Jedi are... Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what Luke is calling out in The Last Jedi. Um, anyway, we're now past the time we wanted to be over, so any last thoughts either you want to share or should we wrap up?
2: If you haven't seen it yet, watch The Clone Wars. Yeah. Yes, some of the episodes are less than enjoyable. Um, getting through them, though, getting that complete and comprehensive story, Season 7 is worth it, absolutely, 100%. So the show is absolutely worth watching.
0: Yeah, And I would say, especially for um, a lot of the geeks out there who will say no, but like the shows I watch, they're so much better. Um, if you're a Star Trek geek and you have watched The Next Generation, which is an amazing show, you have suffered through the first season of Star Trek uh, Next Generation, which is hot garbage. So if you could deal with that, you can deal with a bad first season of this one, too. Um, Paul, any last things?
1: Uh, no, but just on that note, the episodes are pretty short.
0: And, yeah. You know. <laughs> 20 minutes instead of 50 minutes. So there's an advantage there. Anyway, thank you both. Uh, we had to juggle schedules around. I really appreciate you making time for this. Um, fans, what do you all think? Would love to hear your thoughts. Um... There's so much in the Clone Wars we haven't even touched on, whether you're a big fan of it or if you've never seen it, but are just interesting in the ethical questions we've talked about. Um, we barely scratched the surface on how so much of this is metaphors for so many of the ethical questions in our own world today, but clearly it is. Um, write in and let us, let us know what you think. What would you love? What would you hate? What do you totally disagree with that we said? Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and on uh, email at SuperheroEthics. You can also find us as part of the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. Um, write about any of that. And also, as I said, um, uh, about six hours or so after you hear that, after you download this episode, Paul and I and a couple others will be recording our 100th episode. Any ethical question you want to send in, whether it's based on this or anything else, send it on and we'll talk about it. Um, thank you to you both. Thank you to all the fans. Have a great day.
1: Now that's a parking spot.
2: Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly.
0: Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Now that's a parking spot.
2: Introducing the I may have underestimated the size of my car policy with accident forgiveness from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly.
0: Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit amfam.com. Optional policy features not included in base policies. Review policy for coverages and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.